Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here with you and study with you from God's Word this morning. Uh, during the class, we introduced our subject this morning, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and investigating whether we really believe that, whether it's really worth believing, is there evidence for us believing in that? And as we go through the meeting this week, we're going to talk about that evidence. Uh, is it really believable? Should we believe that? And what does it mean to us if we do? What kind of effect it can have on us in our lives as Christians? I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to reiterate something that pretty much said in the Bible class this morning. There are a lot of young people here, and your area of background, your area of what you do, know most of the time is limited. It's limited to where you grow up. It's limited to the people that you know, uh, the way you were brought up. And <clears throat> my point is that someday most of you are going to leave this place and you're going to go out into the world and you're going to go out into places you've never been before. You're going to not just be around people you've never been around before. You're going to be around a different kind of people than you've ever been around before. When you go off to school and you get out, what we would say, out into the world, you're going to get challenged on a lot of things the way you were brought up and the things that you believe and the things that were taught unto you. And one of those subjects is going to be about what you think about Jesus and the Church of Christ and religion and things like that. And you need to be ready for that. You know, I, I would dare to say that most of you, if I was to ask you, tell me somebody you know that doesn't believe in Jesus. You probably wouldn't be able to tell me anybody. If I was to ask you, tell me somebody that you know that doesn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you might have a hard time telling me somebody. Listen, when you get out away from here, it's not going to be hard for you to find somebody like that. And they're going to give you a problem. They're going to challenge you. And so my point this week is to prepare you for that. I would like to say that of all the passages we're going to read and all the points that I'm going to make this week, that you're going to take notes and you're just going to remember every one of them right now. Five years from now, you're going to go to college. Oh, Brother Steve, that was in Romans, whatever. And just bring it. I know better than that, okay? But I want you to look in your Bible so that you will know it's in there. You may not remember where. You may not remember exactly what it said, but you remember, you know, I saw that in there before. There is an answer. I just got to go find it, remind myself, find out where it was. But it will stick in your mind that there is an answer to what arguments the unbelievers make to you and the challenges that skeptics and atheists will offer up to you, that there is an answer to these things. I do not want them to shake your faith. I, I, I might be good if they get you going and make you remember some things, but I don't want it to be where they can shake your faith in, in God and in the gospel and in who Jesus really is. Okay? The, the title of this lesson, I believe, on the flyer was The Importance in Christianity of that empty grave. 
and the resurrection of Jesus, we're representing it with that picture this week. The grave of Jesus is empty. It was empty 2,000 years ago, three three days after he was buried, and it is still empty in our day and time, and it still is empty for the same reason, and it still is empty carrying the same meaning to God's children that it did back then. What is the importance of that empty grave? That empty grave is the rock of our faith. It is the foundation of our faith. If that grave is not empty, for the reason the Bible tells us that it's empty, we just need to all pack it up and go home. And I'll show you that. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So he's saying, this gospel, what is this gospel? For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay. Now, let me just step aside from that point for a second to make a point to you. There's a, an idea going around, and it's in the church now in a lot of places, that that's the whole gospel right there. That the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's just the gospel in total. And they're making a point with that, and their point is about obedience. That as long as you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, All the other teaching in the New Testament is just important truths. And you can, back in the 70s, they called it doctrine, doctrinal truth. Now it's called important truths. And that you can be wrong on those things. You can worship wrong. You can work wrong. You can live wrong. But as long as you believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that you'll be saved. That might surprise you to find out there are members of the church that are saying it's happening. But I want you to just notice, he doesn't say this is the whole gospel. He says, in the beginning of the gospel. Uh, If you have a beginning, then there's more. So this, along with other passages, this is not their passage, this is our passage. It tells you that there is a beginning, and the beginning is the story. That is the foundation. There's more to the gospel than just the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For example, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says they have not, or verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Okay, he talks about obeying the gospel. So let me make this point to you. If the, the gospel is only the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and it talks about obeying the gospel, if that's all the gospel is, how do you obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Think about that. If the gospel is only that story, how do you obey the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That's just illogical. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Well, the point is, there's a lot more to the gospel than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, that point aside, let's go back to our passage now. Because we are talking about the importance of that story that really happened. 
The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, that is the foundation. When the apostle Paul came to Corinth, that's the very first thing he laid down for them. And it's just like when you're building a house and you, you, you know, somebody, my son and them are building a house. And one of the conversations we have, have they laid the foundation yet? Well, we all know what that means. Once you got the foundation laid, boy, you can start building on that, can't you? But until you get the foundation laid, they haven't gotten very far. That is the beginning of what you do because it's got to be able to hold what you build on top of it. The story of Jesus, that empty grave and what all that entails, that is the foundation of the gospel. Everything else taught in the gospel is built on what that means. And that's why we're studying that. Okay? So how important is it? Well, foundation's pretty important. Let me show you in gospel matters how important it is. In chapter 15, beginning with verse 12, he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from, that he rose from the dead, how say some that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's pointing out to some people that you know, if, if it's te taught that Jesus is raised from the dead, how can you then turn around and say there's no such thing as a resurrection from the dead? Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Okay. So he bring, he's, got, he's working around to the point that there, there is an idea that Christ has not been risen from the dead. That, that didn't really happen. What, is the, what are the ramifications of that? What would that mean if Christ is not raised from the dead? Well, he tells us in verse 14, And if Christ be, is not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Okay? If you have a newer version, it may use the actual definition of the word vain, which the definition is it's something that is empty. Or so here's what Paul is saying here. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then he said, my preaching is useless. All this preaching that I'm doing, going around to preach in the church, that's just useless. It's empty and useless. And he says, and your faith is vain also. Okay, now, sometimes people don't like maybe somebody to say something like this, but I'm going to say it. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we might as well pack it up and go home. Because all that we're doing here is useless as far as God is concerned. And somebody says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, the churches, even the churches don't believe, they're still churches, they do a lot of social stuff, they do a lot of good. Listen, that's not the primary purpose for a church. The primary purpose for a church is for us to help each other get to heaven. And if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, all these things that we believe about going to heaven and heaven, and we've been forgiven of our sins, and God's got a mansion waiting on us and all that, that's all fantasy if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. My faith in Jesus is useless, he says, if he has not been raised from the dead. Now, hopefully, when this week is over, you need to pack it up and go home, but that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And there's a lot of meaning for that for you in your life.
the teaching that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was killed, buried, and rose again the third day, and they found his grave empty for that reason. That teaching is the foundation of everything that we stand on. That's pretty important, isn't it? (laughs) If it's everything, the foundation, that's pretty important. So, you know, Jesus had some disciples specifically that he chose. They were called the apostles. The word apostle means one who is sent out. That's, that's a little disciple, apostle, kind of get those words mixed up sometimes. But these 12 particular men were chosen by Jesus. We're told when he chose them and how that happened. But Jesus, to be sent out, to spread the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was the job of those 12 men. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about those men as apostles and what their work was as apostles, okay? Go back to the book of Acts with me. Okay, while you're turning there, you turn to Acts chapter 1. I want to talk with you about witnessing for just a second. Now, like so many Bible words in the Bible, is not anything like the way it's used in our day and time. It's kind of like, you know, when we read the word baptism in the Bible, and then somebody starts talking about sprinkling or dropping a few drops of water on somebody and saying that's baptism. It's just a complete misuse of the Bible word. We find that in our day and time with this idea of witnessing. If you were to talk to some of your friends and denominations and you will hear them talking about witnessing and giving their testimony, okay? The idea that they have in mind is they get up and they give their testimony or they tell their story before their church about all the great things that God has done for them in their life. How that God caused this great change to to happen in their life. And they went from being a bad person and they became a good person. And that's their witnessing of the work of God. Okay, well, if they got to be a better person, I'm not putting that down. That's that's a good thing. And God should, you know, bring about a transformation. we're, We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But that is not what witnessing was in the Bible. You don't read that kind of reference to being a witness for Jesus Christ in the Bible. According to the way the Bible uses the word witness for Jesus Christ, I can't be a witness. And you cannot be a witness. Because witnessing in the Bible was a, about a very specific thing. And we read repeatedly about of the apostles that they were eligible to be witnesses of this very specific thing. So read with me some passages. Acts chapter two, uh, 1, beginning with verse 20. And this is Elf. And they're going to cho- choose a replacement for him. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and let his bishopric another take. Wherefore, of these men which have compassed with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, 
must one be ordained. Okay, they're, they're going to ordain somebody. They're going to choose somebody to take Judas's place. But listen, we're told specifically ordained for what? Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. You see, it's not just witnessing for Christ. It is to be a witness of his resurrection. We would call them eyewitnesses, that they actually saw Jesus alive after Jesus had been dead. Okay? So go to another passage with me. In chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, there beginning with verse 31, and this is the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, Speaking of Jesus and the prophecies before, it says, he's seeing this, verse 31, he's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Now listen, they were chosen to be witnesses of the resurrection. Peter stands before the crowd and he said, God raised Jesus from the dead, and I am a witness of that. I have with my own eyes seen Jesus alive after he was dead. And that, that follows. That's what their work was supposed to be. They should be doing that. Look in chapter 3. In chapter 3, there in verse 15, verse, verse 14 we'll start. He says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Peace, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So time and time again in these sermons through the book of Acts, you, you hear the apostles saying, you know, that was God's son and you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And oh, by the way, we know that's true because we saw him. We saw him with our own eyes alive after he had been killed by, by the crucifixion. Okay, and one more, chapter 4. Chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. Chapter 4, verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the other things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, this is just a general statement about the kind of preaching that they did. They preached the gospel is one way you could say it, but another way is right here where they, with great power, witness to his resurrection. Okay? You remember when in the class I said there's a lot of power in you believing that Jesus was raised from the dead? A lot of power for your life in that. It can change you a lot when you have that conviction. There's a lot of meaning, there's a lot of results that come from that of what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing if you believe Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what that's talking about. With great power, they gave witness specifically that Jesus had been raised from the dead. 
and it was very powerful in the effect that it had on people because they began to see if Jesus was raised from the dead, then it means this, and it means this, and it means this. But you begin with that foundation that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The job of the apostles was to be eyewitnesses of that. Okay? Now, 12, there's another one in there. The apostle Paul. Go with me to Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22. And this is one of those passages where you read of the conversion of Saul, later becoming the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 22, beginning with verse 12, this is when Ananias is sent to him after he's gone into Damascus. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of there, came unto me, stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The Lord of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Okay, so why the stuff on the road to Damascus? I mean, why did God break in when Paul was on the way to Damascus and talk to him and all that kind of stuff? You're told right here. Ananias says that the God, in verse 14, of our fathers chose Paul that he should know his will and see that just one. He saw Jesus. On purpose, he saw Jesus. He had to see Jesus with his own eyes and hear his voice with his own ears. You know why? Because he had to be an eyewitness for Jesus Christ. And Paul's preaching from that time on is going to be about being and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 25. Okay, in chapter 25, you get kind of a, a summation in one verse of the way Paul's preaching went wherever he would go and preach the gospel. <clears throat> Paul is, is in captivity now. He's a prisoner. He's going to end up uh, going and having a trial in Rome. But some of the leaders, the political leaders that have him captive, they want to hear from him and all this. And Agrippa's involved in that. Felix is involved in that. And it says... In verse 17, here's one of them talking about Paul. They're telling him, well, here's, here's the best we can figure out about why they're griping about Paul, why the Jews are griping about it. Verse 17, therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, verse 17, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth, against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed. So the Jewish leaders are all up in arms about Paul, and they get him arrested, and, and now he's brought before the magistrate to be judged. And he said, they started talking about stuff. I, I mean, I thought they were going to say he's a murderer, he's a thief, he's whatever, done, committed some crimes. He said, they didn't do any of that. Here's what they accused Paul of, verse 19 but had certain questions against him of their own superstition, their religion. And of one Jesus who was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So 
so there's your generalization of the preaching of the Apostle Paul. He would go around and tell them about Jesus who had been dead and now Paul was affirming he's back alive again. He has been raised from the dead. The reason that grave is empty is because Jesus came back to life. That was the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And, and as we look at the preaching, you find in passage after passage, that's how their preaching went. They were eyewitnesses and they did their job very well. Go back to Acts chapter two. We'll read through a few of them. And, and I'm just giving you a sample of their kind of preaching that they did. And, and I'm gonna tell you something, we can probably learn something from this kind of preaching. If the preaching of the resurrection was so effective for them, you reckon it might be kind of effective for us too if we could get back on that a little more than maybe we do? If we could get people to face the question of whether Jesus was really raised from the dead? I mean, like, do they really believe that? And I'll tell you why I'm saying that, because it had a bit of fa big effect on me. When I began studying this, it was amazing. It had a big effect. And I don't think I would be all alone in that matter. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, beginning. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Again, the day of Pentecost. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Verse 32, same sermon. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Okay? The very first sermon, the central point was that Jesus, even though you killed him, he was raised from the dead. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Peace who God hath raised from the dead. Whereof we are witnesses of that. Again, another sermon. And the whole point is that he had been raised from the dead. Chapter 4. Verse 1, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This is just what they did continually. They, through Jesus, taught the resurrection of the dead. It just so happens Sadducees didn't like that because they didn't believe that people could be raised from the dead. And that's pretty much what they were known for. When you look at the sermons of the Apostle Paul, look over in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And what I want you to notice is just how prominent this was in their teaching. And they did their job 
to be eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Okay, so... Well, what, there's all kind of scriptures Paul could have reasoned out of. Subject, did Paul make a point to reason with them about? Verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That was his lesson. That the prophets talked about Jesus he was killed and he was raised from the dead and that means he is the Christ. That means he is the Son of God. That was the reasoning that he presented to them. Chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens and his spirit was stirred in him, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain of the philosophers and Epicureans and of one Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he had preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. You see, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, the aliens. He taught the resurrection. That was his subject. My suggestion to you is this. It, it was them doing their job. They were witnesses of the resurrection. That's what Jesus sent them out to. That's literally what they were made to be apostles to do. I also want to say to you, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They, got that. They, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't just sit down like I might do, or Bob, I didn't just, well, what my subject's going to be for the sermon Sunday. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided them into all truth. The Holy Spirit gave them the words to say, and I'm going to say he gave them some subjects too, some sermon subjects. And repeatedly we see that he guided them to teach people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That subject is the reason they were persecuted. You remember Felix and Agrippa? And Paul is a prisoner. That passage in Acts 25 verse 19, Paul is a prisoner there. And he is brought before the magistrates to be judged and they're thinking they're going to hear something. He murdered somebody, he robbed somebody or something, committed some crime. And the man, what are y'all talking about? Why did he, why was he before them? Because the Jews didn't like him teaching about the resurrection. They didn't even like the idea of the resurrection, much less that Jesus, that, that man they had had killed, had been raised from the dead. And listen, some of those apostles were killed for that. So you might just keep in mind, if you start talking to somebody about Jesus being raised from there, you start trying to teach somebody, they don't like the gospel. A lot of people don't like the gospel. You might have something come back at you, something that's pretty rough, but called persecution. 
There are people who will not like you. There are people who literally will try to hurt you if you try to teach them the direction of Jesus Christ. I hope that doesn't matter to you. I hope you would do it anyway. I hope you would have that much courage to just do what Christians are supposed to do and tell the world of the gospel story. I have thought a lot. This is, I don't give opinions very much, but I have thought a lot about teaching people. And a lot of places the churches, churches are growing, in some places they're not growing. But I have had studies with people in the past, used to have a lot of Bible studies, and it's like, why can't I get through to these people? And, and I, I about come to the opinion because I could have done a better job if I had started with teaching them about the resurrection. That if I could have shown them the evidence and they believed in that, the rest would have been easier to teach to them. They would have been more receptive to it. And if they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then I can just head on down the road to the next person because the rest of it doesn't matter if they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Just a point to say it probably needs to be more prominent in our thinking, in our conscience, not just something that I know, but something that I think about, something I actually have actively going on in my mind to help me teach somebody else. It is the most effective teaching to convert somebody, for you to have a part in converting somebody. It's also the most effective teaching for us to grow as Christians. As I said in the class, there is power in that fact that Jesus was raised from the dead because there's so much meaning to it. That's, that's what the later part of this meeting's gonna be about, lessons on that. It's just so important that we get that and that we teach on it, okay? Here's the benefit of teaching about the resurrection, and that is it forces a decision. It forces a decision. The, the, the subject of the resurrection and us teaching ourselves and others about it, if we've got anything of any kind of character in us at all, or they have, the person we're teaching has any kind of character, it, it is a matter that pushes us to decide some things for sure. Be convicted one way or another. I believe it was C.S. Lewis that came up with a formula. He didn't come up with the ideas, but he kind of formulated it together. And it was an argument called Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. Lord, liar, or lunatic, okay? And again, he didn't make up the ideas involved in that, but he just kind of put it in that order. And, and it's pretty good because teaching somebody about the resurrection does push a person to that decision. You have to decide. The idea is there's only three options you have on Jesus. There's only three. Now, somebody may come up with some subheadings, a little few details, but there's basically three choices you have when you're taught about Jesus. The first one is that he's a liar. Okay, in Matthew 16, 21, Jesus there and in other passages prophesied they're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. 
I mean, Jesus made that statement about himself to the disciples. They are going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to be alive again. That's pretty bold, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's never seen anything like that before in the world. And so, flop this around. So he makes that claim that he's going to be raised from the dead. All right, let's, let's look at him saying that. Is he a liar? I mean, if he made that claim and he's saying, he's got his mind all together, he's saying the impossible is going to happen, right? I mean, basically, as far as we're concerned, he's saying the impossible. I, have you ever seen a dead person come back to life? I haven't. I don't expect to. Not now, anyway. So he's claiming that he's going to be raised from the dead after they kill him. If he knew he had no basis for saying that, he was a liar. He knew he was lying. He knew that wasn't going to happen if he knew better. Now, there are a lot of people that don't want to believe in the real point of Jesus and what he's all about, but they want to say, well, he was a good moral man. He's not the son of God, he wasn't raised from the dead, but he's a good moral man. No, 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 no. If he knew he was lying when he said it, that it wasn't going to happen, he's a liar. He's not a good moral man. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He's a fraud to be rejected. We have religious people like that in our day and time. There's a story of a man back in the 80s who would go around doing traveling uh, Pentecostal miracle shows. And he would put on these big miracle productions and he had a very unique thing that he did and he had a lot of followers because nobody could figure out what was happening. It had to be a miracle as far as a lot of people believe. He would go into a place where he didn't know anybody and he would call people out of the audience and he would call them by name, tell them what their name is. Tell them why they were there, what physical illness they had. They were there to have him. And they would be saying, how did you know that? I don't even know you, sir. You've never talked to me before. And that went on, and everybody thought he was a great prophet of God, until one day a magician, a real magician, not magic, but a trick person, who wasn't claiming the power of God, he was just a magician, he got sick of this man claiming that he was doing this trick by the power of God and taking a lot of people's money because of that. So he started following him around, and what he found out was the man had a, a receiver in his ear, and he began asking, why does a man that can do miracles need a hearing aid? So he brought a radio frequency thing with him, and he found the radio frequency, and bottom line, they discovered what they were doing was his wife would come in, who knew by, nobody knew. They didn't know she was his wife. She would come into the audience and start talking to people and gathering information on people. Then when the service started, she would stand behind a two-way mirror and tell him who to call out of the crowd, tell him what their name was, tell him why they were. It was all a trick. The man was a liar, and I will tell you, he's not a good moral man. He's still out there. And when he got called on, he just laughed and he said, I'm just giving the people what they want. And that was on 60 Minutes TV. Okay? If Jesus was a liar, he's not a good moral man. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a fraud. Okay? The second option is Jesus was crazy. 
He's just crazy. Here's a man who claimed he was going to be raised from the dead. That's impossible. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen. But Jesus said he was going to happen to him. Well, Jesus was just crazy. He was just a lunatic. We have people like that in religion. I'm from Texas, and we had a fellow a few years back named David Koresh over there. The big Waco thing, you might remember. He started out being this wise teacher, and they had videos of him and all his little hippie friends sitting there, and they would, they would study the Bible, and he would give these supposedly wise commentaries on the Bible and old, black, old movies. And then it came to a point where he told his disciples he was Jesus Christ. He was the Messiah. Well, he's dead now. And, and he wasn't raised. <laughs> he was a lunatic, crazy. That's your second choice of Jesus. The only other choice you have is that he was telling the truth. That he was telling the truth. You do not get to go halfway on Jesus. You do not get to say he's a good moral man, but it didn't happen. That he's a wise man, but he lied. He didn't know what he was talking about. You don't get to do that. With Jesus, it's all the way. Or it's none. And what Jesus said was that he would be raised on the third day. Okay? Let me show you what that means. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter on the day of Pentecost made the application that we need to get. Acts chapter 2 verse 32. He said, This Jesus hath God raised up whereof all, we all are witnesses. And then in verse 36 he says, Therefore, because this is true, it really did happen, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Or as Paul says, he is now the King of kings and Lord of lords. So what does that mean to me? One verse to keep in mind. That's Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. If he is the Lord of lords, he has been made both Lord and Christ. The word Lord means ruler. The person who makes up the rules, tells us what we can and cannot do, and enforces those rules one way or another. Jesus asked his followers, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you won't listen to me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you will not obey my word? The empty grave has meaning. And the meaning is that he is raised from the dead, and he's now Lord of Lords and king of kings. So think about that. There's a lot of meaning to that, and it has to come out in our lives, or it's just not having the effect that it's supposed to have. Now, if you're here this morning, I would encourage you to think about your choices of Jesus. Do you, I mean, you want to consider him a liar? You can do that. Maybe it didn't happen. Maybe he's just a liar. Do you think Jesus is crazy? He said he was going to be, come back from the dead. Did it happen or not? 
Or was Jesus really raised from the dead? Were the witnesses, the eyewitnesses telling you the truth? And do you understand that that means he's the son of God and you need to listen to him? He's the Savior. He tells you how to be saved. Remember John 14, 6? No man comes to the Father but by me. That was the claim of Jesus. If you're going to get to heaven, you're going to have to get to heaven the way Jesus tells you you can get there. That's the only way. And what he said was, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, you've got a decision to make. Will you take Jesus as your Lord? Will you let him be your Lord? Will you obey him? Will you go to heaven? Will you let him get you to heaven? That's the choice that you have to make. We can help you become to Christ. Come and let us know. While together we stand and while we sing.